Welcome back to another episode of the Web3 Show. And as always, it is my privilege to bring the wizards of Web3, the wannabe wizards, the wizards soon to be DeFi pirates, maybe trippy toads, we're not too sure. Luca, Luca, my your guy in Tradfi has been throwing spanners into the works over the past few days. Um, it's good to have us all back, boys. Um, as always, the Red Pool Merchant Galactic Q and your guy in TradFi, the ghost of Wall Street, making trades as always. Uh, we were worried about him for a second. He only came on to to the call about a minute a minute before kickoff time, having just had made his way back to Norway. Uh, so I think he's good. I think he's buried in that Norwegian salmon after being deprived of it for a month. Oh I would too. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> yeah, I'm i I've placed an order with him to get some uh, imported to the UK black market. Beautiful. Beautiful. Boys yeah, I <laughs> Boys, I have, a, I have a market buy, bro. Market buy. <laughs> yeah, market buy like Do Kwan, eh? on Bit- on the Bitcoin market. Boys, I have a I'm before we kick resistance. before he oh, Q, you always have to take it back to trading, bro. <laughs> um, boys, I, before we start off the show, I have a quick um, ethical question to start off. It's quite a it's quite a tough one. Um, so it goes as such. If you get a tattoo of one of your NFTs, then sell the NFT. Are you legally required to get the tattoo removed? I know it's quite a heavy, heavy question for to start the show off. But uh, so, uh, your, what do you reckon? That's a tough one. Um, yes, I think you are required to, to remove it. That's lawyer, that's lawyer Q. That's your red pull for the day. You have to remove the, the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Luca? Uh, well, it's pretty awkward to have someone else's property tattooed on your body. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I love that. Right. Now we've got the shenanigans out the way. Q, tell us what's happening in the market. Let's kick off the show properly. Um, it seems like we're still in very much choppy, choppy waters. Uh, but we're currently sitting at a 46, 45k Bitcoin nonetheless. So give us your breakdown. What's happening in the markets uh, since a week ago? Yeah, well, I mean, things are things are looking pretty interesting at the moment. Um, we kind of sitting in this bull flag consolidation since we broke out um, and closed the weekly candle above our bull market support band. Um, we've had two weekly, re- well, one weekly retest of it, and we're likely to retest the bull market support band at about 44.5 again this week. Um, but right now, yeah, I mean, we, on the 12 hour time frame, we're getting a nice bottom in indicators. We kind of had a very solid breakout of our asymmetric pennant, um, and ultimately pushed through our ascending triangle break as well. And now we kind of hovering above that horizontal support. Um, and rather than doing a res- support resistance flips and RS flip, we're now sitting and forming quite a strong bull flag, which is a similar bull flag setup to what we saw on the ETH versus BTC charts uh, before ETH had its strong 10% rally versus Bitcoin over the past two weeks. So it's in a very, we're in a very interesting time right now. Uh, in my opinion, it's not really a tradable zone. We've got a lot of sort of bearish indication as to 
uh, leaning towards the side of a, of a strong capitulation for Bitcoin of about 10 to 20 percent. Um, you know, maybe back down to those low 40s before we can actually continue up because there's been a lot of unsustained price push. And at the same token, we are looking at pretty strong lower time frame bull pennant, um, which could have a breakout target of 52K. So we're kind of sitting in limbo right now. Um, if you didn't get your trade entries a couple of weeks ago before this Bitcoin breakout, I wouldn't be looking to ape into the market right now. I think, you know, we... We'll touch on some altcoins later in the show, but I mean, if you're looking at Solana and, you know, uh, AVAX and Luna, these projects that have done really strong gains over the past couple of weeks, they're super, super inflated. I mean, even Ethereum, um, I think Ethereum needs to come back to retest trend uh, between that 3000 to $3,100 level before we continue up. So whether we do break to the upside now or not, I'm leaning more to the bearish side. I think we need a stronger pullback just to reset um, some of the indicators, especially the momentum oscillators. So short term, I would say I'm bearish. Uh, medium, long term, I'm bullish. Um, I think we're still going to see a strong move to the mid to high 50s before we see a stronger capitulation in May. So I'm remaining risk on sentiment this month, looking for some really good entries on the next little 10 to 20 percent pullback that should come to the market sooner than later. Thanks, Q. As always, great market update. Um Something just to, just a follow up question. Something interesting happened last week that a lot of macroeconomists look in, and I, and I want to get uh, uh, Luca to chime in here as well. Um, we had an inversion of the yield curve, which historically always points to a recession coming next, um, and this basically means that short term interest rates are um, more attractive than longer term interest rates. And essentially what that means is is the market is pricing in uh, future drops in interest rates, with, which historically lines up with a recession. Um, what's your take on the inverted yield curve? And uh, we'll get Luca to give his thoughts as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, obviously the, this is typically a leading indicator to an economic reset. You know, whether that reset happens within 12 to 24 months or five years from now, we don't actually know. But typically this is one of the, you know, early indications coupled with various other, you know, broken sectors of the current traditional markets. Um, you know, this is a strong leading indicator that an economic reset is on the way. You know, we've got two crazy interest rate hikes coming in May and June, both consisting of 50 basis points, which the market is yet to price in. Um, but I think ultimately we know and we've all been calling for it that we need some form of economic reset this decade. The markets have been heavily inflated over the past couple of years. Um, and this is kind of the, the early indication that we're starting to get. I mean, I saw a crazy stat the other day with the amount of debt in the U.S. that if they had to pay off the debt, it will either take 48,000 years at current taxation rates to pay back the debt, assuming it doesn't increase from this point, or the U.S. population would have to 50x over the next decade, um, assuming debt doesn't rise further. Um, you know, we, we also saw the, the yen drop 9% the other day. We've seen, you know, multiple different economic factors showing us a lot of broken measures. And I think this yield curve paired with that is kind of just giving us strong leading indication as to a drastic economic reset that's going to come in the next, I, I would say, 24 months to to five years. Anywhere with before 2025, 2026, we we could probably see a global scale pullback in the in the traditional markets. 
And Luca, what are your thoughts on this, given that crypto being the biggest sponge for excess liquidity in the opposite vein in a bear market, it's the, the one asset class that gets liquidity drained from it um, the fastest. So given, you know, if, if an inverted yield curve signals a recession, signals vast amounts of economic pain still to come, what does that hold for crypto? In the context of the fact that we've had we've been having such aggressive down cycles, then it's up, then it's down, then it's like no one, you know, as Jonty says, we're in limbo. So, what's coming next, and what do you think a recession would do to crypto? Um, I mean, it's 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 always a game of uh, probabilities, um, I guess. But I think uh, one thing that would almost surely, well, that I expect will almost surely happen over the next 24 months is a, a continuation um, of a pattern we've spoken about on the pod before, which is a, a rotation to quality. That's the one part. Um, I mean, with the kind of uh, continual expansion um, of the monetary supply, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I would expect the market cap to be drastically lower um, in like uh, over, say, a two-year horizon. Um, but almost surely, um, value uh, 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 protocols with low value will, will drop off. I mean, this all comes in the context of kind of a very bullish macro environment. And so, you know, markets are forward-looking. Um, I, I don't think you can count on, you know, getting life-changing entries in two years' time. I think the, the, the time to start kind of uh, looking at accumulating holdings is, is rather sooner than later. Well, I mean, this, this kind of just touches on the, the rollouts into hard assets um, versus, you know, kind of risk on heavy risk on assets. You know, there's a lot of guys talking about kind of fleshing out into property game, into gold, into these various different assets that, you know, kind of retain value as much as possible during, you know, economic resets. But I think, you know, just touching on the point of crypto, you know, it is largely a speculative, a speculative market. A lot of the, the demand and the price valuations currently have been driven by speculation and all of that. Um, and I think, you know, what, what Lucas said, the, the, the shift into quality is going to be drastic over the coming months, especially considering Bitcoin is in essence becoming a hard asset as it's so heavily driven by scarcity. Um, I don't know if you guys saw today, but there was just an approval for a $70 million raise, you know, to build a stable coin on the Lightning Network. Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of like fleshing out of the Bitcoin ecosystem that's coming to play. Um, and I think with the, the drive in, you know, kind of differing opinions on what the ETH merge is going to do, whether it's good or bad, you know, people are starting to consider that proof of stake is maybe not the answer. So I think, you know, a shift into quality is one thing, but I think a shift into hard assets like Bitcoin over and above every other asset in the crypto space might become the predominant play um, if we do lead into economic turmoil, basically. And, and look, this will test the perpetual thesis that bitcoin is digital gold right i mean exactly. if we really do get a flight um from kind of <laughs> everything <laughs> so to speak um <laughs> will will gold rally will bitcoin rally will they both rally will only bitcoin rally i, I guess we'll find out 
It's another another chance for Bitcoin to act to, uh, uh, for the purpose it was meant to act. Um, and I, I tried a button there, but I didn't get my chance. Obviously, we're lumping, we're putting uh, Metaverse land also into that bucket of quality, right? That you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, what, what's the famous sure, thing? Right? Did, own, wait, if, wait, did I miss something? Did less, I miss something? <laughs> if you own less virtual land than you do real land, you're not going to make it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's the quote. That's the quote. Who, who, who said that again? Who said uh, that again? Gandhi or Rand, Rand Noah from CryptoBats. So I think he retweeted it. Yeah. I thought it was I, I thought it was um, Gandhi or um, Florence Nightingale or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think well, this metaverse land is probably the the most obvious retard, retarded play um, that someone could make <laughs> in economic recession. Let it let it let it dip ninety nine percent and then buy. You, you need to trademark that retarded player. Can you incorporate that into your trading uh, documentation somehow? Um, well, look on, on the on the note of metaverse land. Uh, our big topic for today, or one of our two big topics, is the the massive, literally massive Axie Infinity um, Ronin network hack from last week. Um, so Axie Infinity's Ronin network, which is a side chain, side blockchain. Um, built on top of the Ethereum network or built in parallel to the Ethereum network, suffered a $625 million, yes, $625 million exploit last week um, when Ethereum was at certain prices. Um, it was about uh, 170,000 Ether and $25 million of uh, USDC that got drained from essentially the Ronin bridge uh, that bridges from the Ethereum network into uh, the Ronin blockchain, which runs uh, the Axie, Axie Infinity. And essentially why, I mean, why there was so much sort of noise about this is that essentially this, the, the, well, a, a lot of what came to the fore is what I'll, well, what I'll get cute to touch on now is just basically the mechanics of the hack. How was it, how was it set up? Uh, Axie Infinity's parent company, Sky Mavis, obviously runs the nodes and the validators for the Ronin, um, the Ronin blockchain, and that's set up in in quite a questionable way. Um, their security came into question, the vulnerability of the blockchain. The biggest fact of all being that the hack took place on around the twenty third of March, and it only came to light around the thirtieth, so last week. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday. So only a week later did they realize they were missing, they had a $600 million hole in their network. And essentially this left um, a lot of the assets on the Ronin blockchain um, unbacked. And essentially to me, this is like, <laughs> this This could have this could have been the end to Axie Infinity. I mean, it's a complete... It's like a bullet to the heart of of your of your network, essentially. Um, so, Q, do you want to break down the mechanics of how the hack happened? What are the key things to take away from, and essentially, what are the flaws we're looking at, and any other noteworthy things we need to touch on? Yeah, well, I mean, I think this this hack kind of highlights two critical like flaws within the crypto space today. One, bridge protocol technology is still super early. Um, and it is prone to exploits. Look at what happened with the wormhole hack um, and various other ones. And two, centralization. You know, Moxie 
you know, co-founder of Signal, I know we've, we've touched on, on his reports on Web3, he made a pretty crucial quote saying that, you know, the moment decentralized networks use centralized networks for efficiency, the protocol becomes the worst of both worlds. And ultimately, one of the critical failures of this entire hack and why the exploit could occur is because the Ronin network is largely centralized. It only has nine validators, of which four are owned by Sky Mavis, which is the company backing Axie, as you mentioned. So the biggest issue here, though, was that the multi-sig to the wallets that held these funds and these funds largely being made up um, you know, of, of people who are using the platform and, uh, and ultimately payers and speculators and, and revenue gener generated from the platform, the multi-sig is distributed between five different wallets, of which four are owned by Sky Mavis. So essentially, the hacker just had to exploit Sky Mavis and one other node to, to access the five-part multi-sig. And that's ultimately what they did. They, they managed to, to breach the back end. Um, there were obviously security flaws and things overlooked. And ultimately, they managed to send themselves funds straight out of the, the multi-sig wallet through to their personal account. And what's quite interesting now, what's, what's come to light and what a lot of people are worried about is that, you know, when you had the wormhole hack, Jump Capital footed the bill and they replenished the fund within a couple of hours and everyone's, you know, ETH was backed again. The problem here is, you know, Sky Mavis has pledged to, to reimburse everyone. But ultimately, to do so, they would have to start liquidating their AXS shares, which means that there would be constant downwards price pressure if they can't find VCs to take the tokens OTC. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty as to what's going to happen from this point on. And I do know from, from monitoring the wallets of the hacker um, still today, they are trying to withdraw that capital and cash it out, where developers for Axie are desperately trying to get in touch with it, or developers of the Ronin network are desperately trying to get in touch with the hacker to pay them a payout, but ultimately have large quantity of the funds returned. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this kind of progresses, but I think it kind of highlights the flaw in Web3 to date, and that is a large portion of networks kind of center around centralization. And yes, this was a validated network, but only having nine validators of which four are owned by one company and you only needed five to, to access the multi-sig and ultimately sign the transactions is just a rookie fucking error, especially considering the amount of revenue that this company is dealing with. So I think it speaks to a lot of, a lot of factors, but ultimately the flaw of centralization creeping into a decentralized world um, it just highlights how early we are in the space, both in security measures and in the actual technology. And correct me if I'm wrong, John, the, one of the parts, one of the other mistakes was that in the, in the run-up, in that legendary run-up that Axie had la uh, you know, last year around November, when they had a huge influx of demand, they also left essentially a back door open um, through the one of the validator nodes in the Axie DAO, so that was the final node that the hacker was able to exploit. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, or I'm not. I'm not sure if you read that as well. But I found that also interesting, where essentially they dumbed down their security when they had an influx of users and a huge spike in demand, and then they never sort of patched up the hole or did anything again. They just 
left it. So it, I don't know. It definitely seems that it definitely seems that there was a, a, a fair amount of negligence on the side of on the side of Sky Mavis and the Axie developers, just not sort of putting security front and front of mind, at least, especially, I mean, you especially have these questions when literally the front, the hole was there for six, six days. And they did that, you know, there was the blog post only got announced last week, which is, which is quite, quite crazy. And, and I mean, you now have this, this whole ethical side of it where people in the Philippines are literally, you know, have lost their, some of their life savings or their earning potential where they've, where they've put a lot of it on, you know, on Axie to earn their money. No, it's, it's, it's honestly scary. I mean, what there was, there was that article that came out saying that Axie Infinity, you know, was a major player in supporting the GDP in the Philippines during the COVID lockdown period. Um, and just to think how many people have been affected by something like this, just due to, to mismanagement of security. And, you know, the, the underlying thing here is that we're early. You know, no matter how experienced the team is, the tech is early. And ultimately, people will make these mistakes. Look at, you know, how many NFT projects are getting hacked. Look at how many Metaverse projects are getting hacked. How many GameFi projects are getting hacked. How many DeFi protocols are still getting hacked. You know, people, people seem to forget how early pay-to-earn is, how early Metaverse is. You know, the run-up only largely kick-started properly mid last year with the explosion in NFTs and all of that and how it adapted into Metaverse. Uh, yes, Sandbox and those have been around for a bit longer, but, you know, ultimately the traction came with in the last nine months. And just to think that companies are dealing with mad amounts of revenue as such, you know, and I don't know, it just, it just kind of speaks to, you know, a, a overlying inexperience group of users in the crypto space, not due to their own fault, but just due to the early stages of this technology and how too much growth too quickly, maybe, you know, exactly. Like basically the flaw of all NFT projects <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And Luca, you've, uh, you've stayed silent so far. Um, I want to bring you in here. Uh, I'm sure you, <laughs> I know, uh, it's probably worth mentioning as well to the audience that, uh, we actually ran a bit of an experiment where we left Luca uh, in the dark on the topics until tonight. So he's coming in here, uh, pretty blind and, uh, naked as he likes to say to all the topics. Um, what are your <laughs> initial thoughts on the hack? And is this a huge dent in the bonnet of, play to earn gaming and the future potential of essentially, you know, play to earn and gaming and, and game fi, this whole ecosystem with NFTs built into it is essentially the moniker of web three. And that's, you know, a, a lot of people say, Oh, this is how we're going to get the next billion people into crypto is through gaming. And in, you know, NFTs built into gaming and game fi and, and earning own ownership through the games. Is this a huge dent? I know you don't have, that much faith in in metaverse and uh gaming currently um probably less so than than most people but uh what's your take on it currently well i, I actually think that it could set gamefire back a bit to be honest um i mean axie was the flagship there was an ecosystem that built up within axie obviously an ecosystem where you know it was possible to exploit 600 million dollars 
Um, I, I, I say setback uh, in the sense that I think people will be less inclined to hold uh, significant portions of their earnings within gaming ecosystems after this. Um, and, and obviously that um, will affect the growth trajectory overall. Right. So I think it's going to take a lot of uh, convincing um, for another GameFi project to be able to build up that much in um, uh, captured capital, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. And the, the psychological effect on users is like if you've lost all of your all of your assets, essentially, in yeah. Axie or, you know, a lot of the liquidity you are playing with. And, and you're, I mean, maybe- yeah. Sorry, Luca, go for it. No, I know. I was just going to say, and I mean, in, in kind of the, the traditional currency sense, you've got switching costs, right? Like if you're staying in the US and you're using the US dollar, it's not that easy to get out, right? But if you, you know, in, in this kind of GameFi ecosystem, we have low switching costs between cryptocurrencies. So uh, really, like you guys uh, were saying, you know, the only thing keeping capital in is faith, basically. Um, because you you can uh, just move it out and then move it in again if you need it, right? Like there's there's, there's the only incentive um, is intrinsic, basically. Luca, it's probably interesting though digging into that because you, you say obviously there's low switching costs in cryptocurrency, but if you look at the setup of the like, if you just take the Ronin. Uh, Ronin ecosystem or Axie ecosystem as an example, essentially your on-ramp into Ronin is one through, they have a fiat ramp, which is um, one way. So you can't go, you can't go from Axie to fiat. You can only go from fiat to Axie. Um, And that obviously allows you to exchange for um, their Ronin token, uh, Smooth Love Potion, AXS and Wrapped ETH. Then you have, through Ethereum, which is the Ronin bridge. Essentially, how that works is your your capital that you deposit on one side of the bridge and that and the asset that comes out the other side, so your Ether on the Ethereum network uh, deposited into the bridge and your wrapped Ether that comes out the other side, essentially those are two different assets where the bridge is, hold, is a, is a um, custodial of those assets. So are your switching costs that low, actually, once you've, say, you've gone into Axie through this bridge where now there may be actually a vulnerability in that bridge that you don't know about? Does that intri- do- doesn't that, isn't there like an extra opportunity cost or an extra economic cost, an extra risk that's laid on top you know, of your switching costs? You essentially, it's a, it's a one-way trap door in the sense. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, um, if you have low confidence in a bridge, um, you're more likely to keep your capital on the safer side, right? Like keeping your capital on the Ethereum side exposes you to less risks than keeping it on the Ronin side, or on the other side of the bridge. Um, so I, what, what I'm trying to say is, is that capital will probably, it, it will be much harder to convince people to really put up a significant amount of capital and store it on the other side of kind of an isolated bridge um, after this hack. And that will impact the growth of GameFi ecosystems. Right. And I mean, speaking of preserving, speaking of preserving your capital and uh, 
maybe changing changing pace as we move to the next <laughs> the next topic. Um, Q is going to have an absolute field day on uh, this topic, um, with uh, Solana being up over thirty five percent in the past week. Correct me if I'm wrong on that uh, Q on that stat, but it's had an absolute run. Um, and we're basically just going to dive in what is driving Solana. They had the recent um, integration with OpenSea where now OpenSea are um, essentially making available NFTs on the Solana ecosystem. But Q, Q reckons, and he's told me this offline, that he reckons that's not the only reason why Solana's mooning. So Q, do you want to dive into what's happening with Solana, a bit about the NFTs and what's your thesis at the moment um i know i said preserving capital but solana obviously not financial advice a lot more risky than bitcoin for example yeah well i mean firstly just to correct you it was a 61 percent move uh to current right <laughs> that's um, why you're the that's why you're the in-house trader it's not that's why i'm the i'm the moderator you're the in-house trader Exactly. So. <laughs> so we actually had the break of quite a long downtrend at about $80, $84. Uh, quite a few of us got into the trade there um, and it peaked at about a 70% return, touching $143 um, by the by the top of it. And, you know, you most, sell? most would think that. Um, so I sold about 70, 75% of my position at around 105, um, but early, but I closed out the remaining 25% at $135. So yes, sir, sold. Um, nice. I'm going to be looking to, to re-enter Solana. We have deviated drastically from trend. Um, so I'll be looking to re-enter Solana sub $120 until that point. I would just be cautious. We are topped on a lot of momentum oscillators as well. Um, so we do need some form of reset before we continue a sustained run back to all-time highs for Solana. But as Lucas said, I mean, most, most people you know, kind of kind of saw this break coming with the excitement of Solana NFTs being integrated into OpenSea. And this has been kind of rumored to be happening since early last year. And ultimately now the announcement's been made that it's going to be happening this month. And it's it's pretty big news. But what a lot of people don't realize is there was a couple other announcements that took place around the same period. It was about a, a 10-day period of of four bullish announcements, uh, one being the NFT integration into OpenSea. Another one being Solana introduced, uh, Coinbase introducing support for Solana-based ecosystem projects. And what this essentially allowed you to do was input your, your self-custody wallet, like your phantom wallet private uh, seed phrase, into the Coinbase uh, extension on your browser and allowed you to interact with native Solana DeFi projects straight out of your Coinbase account, um, which you know, may, maybe is not a massively bullish catalyst, but it's a huge efficiency stream allowing people just generally locked up in centralized exchanges to access decentralized networks on the Solana chain. The, the second but Coinbase, thing that was announced... Q, Coinbase has a ton of liquidity, so surely that is a big bullish indicator that there'll be a flood of liquidity coming in to Solana essentially. Yes, that, that, is con that is taking into or making the assumption that, that a large point of that liquidity is interest in Solana DeFi. Um, so, I mean, yes, it is bullish, but I don't think it's an immediate drastic price action. Um, 
but we did see a huge, it was about an eight, nine percent push in Solana after we got that announcement. Um, but I think that the next two announcements have much more weight as to why the price moved. And this leads me into the next one, Grayscale launching their 18th investment vehicle, which is called the XETH investment product. And basically this is an investment product directed, directed straight into layer one competitors to Ethereum of which Cardano, they hold 26%, um, weighted according to market cap, and Solana coming in the second with 25% allocation. AVAX in third, DOT in fourth, Matic in fifth, and so on. But Solana getting a drastic um, allocation towards this investment vehicle, and on top of that, they closed this investment product to only high net worth individuals, VCs, or institutions. And this kind of leads me into the next point about the VC incubulation of this. But before I get into that, there was a fourth big announcement that happened within the space of 10 days. And that was uh, Crofton, which are the gaming company behind PUBG, which is one of the leading games that led the move towards a battle royale setup, um, basically has partnered with Solana Labs in the hopes to build and operate a fully functioning GameFi ecosystem on Solana, integrating NFTs and Metaverse within the Solana blockchain. So this, this, all this bullish news kind of builds around the fact that Solana is positioning itself to be more of a GameFi sort of NFT hub where people are getting ease of access. And what one thing we do know is that a large portion of Solana, I think it's about 45%, is actually owned by VCs. And one of the biggest investment issues with crypto is that there isn't a track. And what a lot of these VCs do is buy into these projects super early. And at a later stage, you get private investment managers and basically funds and things like that that look to enter crypto projects that don't have much track record besides the fact that it ran from a dollar to $260 within the space of a year. So most of these funds don't have time to research this. So they look at where VCs are heavily allocated, where VCs are buying. And there's been a large traction of liquidity built around these four announcements that has flooded into Solana and ultimately gave it its run from $84 to 143, which was a 70% move. This correlated with a perfect technical breakout, um, a perfect push of building sentiment on social media over the three weeks leading up to that breakout. And ultimately, if you look at the spot buying purchases prior to the breakout, there were big orders coming, which we assume to be VC wallets, buying Solana between $75 to $90 before we ultimately had this big push to the upside. So there's been a strong catalyst for Solana over the past couple of weeks, and I don't think it's over yet. I'm actually becoming incredibly bullish on Solana. I've still got my long-term huddle bags, which have been accumulated over the past year and a bit that I probably will not likely sell until we see a new all-time high for Solana. But from a trading account purpose, you know, there, there's, a, there's a strong narrative being pushed on social media about which coin's going to hit $1,000 first, Luna or Solana. And I think it's going to be a close competitor between the two, but Solana with its partnerships uh, is looking to be pretty great. On the other hand as well, there's a lot of VCs taking interest in Solana because of the controversy around the ETH merge later this year, which I'm sure we'll dedicate an episode to in the coming weeks. But ultimately there's this issue that the ETH upgrade is largely gonna reduce the security of the network because proof of work is inherently more secure than proof of stake. 
but also that it's not going to largely solve the transaction fees. Um, and that is kind of a big barrier to entry. On the other hand as well, the scalability for the ETH merge is going to be drastically improved, but Solana still remains ETH 4.0 or even ETH 5.0. So at the end of the day, Solana is positioning itself to be a GameFi NFT ecosystem because of its insane transaction speed, super cheap to operate, and it's now getting these ease of use integrations with Coinbase and other various brands. We've also been seeing major uh, gaming partnerships and all of that. So there's a lot of bullish capitalists leaning into why Solana is doing such a strong move over the past couple of days. Another, th- another two things I saw that were probably worth mentioning along with, you know, lumping into the bullishness was that OpenSea is rolling out um, credit card payments. They're integrating with MoonPay. Um, I don't know if uh, you guys have used them to purchase crypto, but I have, they, they allow, they, they, allow you to use your Visa, MasterCard, debit, credit card, whatever it might be, just to plug straight into crypto and uh, essentially a, a fiat on-ramp um, with OpenSea. So essentially you can use Apple Pay to buy NFTs on OpenSea, which is just really great in terms of um, ease of use. And obviously Solana ecosystem NFTs coming in um, surely means more liquidity flooding into OpenSea at an easier rate. There's also the CME um, CME group considering altcoin futures on Solana and Cardano, which just brings more liquidity to the asset, more institutional buying and selling. Luca, what do you think to you, is there anything that makes you uncertain about Solana or is it, or is it as clear cut as uh, John T makes it seem? I mean, I've maintained that um, I think decentralization uh, is nice, but not critical. I think the permissionless aspect of blockchain is more important. Um, And I've used Solana. It's been a great experience. So, you know, if if I had to pick kind of building a large scale operation and I had the choice between Solana and Ethereum, um, to be entirely honest, I, I would probably pick Solana. And this is probably an ignorant question, guys, but do you has Solana made sacrifices on security by being so fast and obviously being less decentralized? Obviously, you have that whole blockchain blockchain trilemma um, that Vitalik uh, developed back in the early days of crypto between, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, decentralization, scalability, security, right? Um, Has Solana sacrificed too much in that triangle on security? I don't know enough um, about the technical um, design of Solana uh, to comment on that. Q, any any opinions on your side? Open-ended question. Um, I mean... You know, they, 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 they obviously did just experience that massive downtime due to a DOS hack, um, you know, not too long ago. And ultimately, they retained to be in, in beta because I think they still are working on their security measures. But, you know, and we covered the, that a few speed, episodes ago as well. Yeah, we did cover that a few episodes ago. But, I, I, you know, I think there is the scalability trilemma. Um, and uh, sorry, the, the, you know, blockchain trilemma. Yeah, blockchain trilemma. Sorry about that. <laughs> 
but ultimately, you know, the biggest the biggest challenge for all blockchains is finding the perfect balance between these three three issues. And at the end of the day, I think Solana's done a pretty good job. And you know, I, I also don't know enough about the inner workings of the consensus algorithm that they're using with how they adapt proof of stake. Um, I think they use quite a quite an interesting take on history or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. But I haven't looked into it enough recently, so I, I should, wouldn't be commenting on it now. Um, but ultimately, I do think that Solana is inherently secure, um, no less secure than most of the other proof of stake competitors out there. Um, I think if you want to go for max security, you should be comfortable paying higher gas fees for that premium security using proof of work mechanisms rather than proof of stake. But if you're not too concerned, as Lucas said, with you know a degree of centralization and slightly less security, but more focused on scalability, speed, and, and efficiency, and cheap cheaper networks then, you know, that's just kind of the sacrifice that you as a user has to make as well. And I'm fascinated going forward into crypto, you know, into the future and seeing what the landscape actually looks like in the future where, you know, whether people, the mainstream group of people, you know, when crypto does truly go mainstream, are people really going to be worried I mean, we spoke about a bit about this last week. Are people really going to be worried about a centralization issue? They're probably more going to be worried that their cash is safe and the thing works and it's fast. And, you know, we as humans in the modern age, we always want bigger, bigger, better, faster, whatever other, you know, increasing superlative adjective you want to you want to tack on to next. So I think if crypto can deliver that in terms of a monetary system, then people will be pretty happy as long as their cash doesn't disappear overnight like a $600 million hack of your favorite uh, Call of Duty game. Um, and, you know, that I mean, that's also going to be interesting. You know, what, like, <laughs> how much longer do we now have to go in play-to-earn game fi, um, you know, even Solana, those sorts of ecosystem systems where you have, there's such promise, but you have, they have to now sort of turn back, look at the drawing board and say, okay, we need to build a, as robust of a system as, pros, as as possible that's secure, but also brings about joy for the users and, you know, has lightning fast transactions. Um, so I think it's an interesting time uh, we're going to, going into. And uh, if you guys uh, don't have any closing comments on my uh, my philosophical rant there, uh, we'll start uh, start winding down the show. Uh, Thank uh, you for your wise words, Lucas. Thanks, Lucas. I feel Lucas. I appreciate that. I feel very enlightened. I, I had a I had a monologue. I had a, also a mo- similar monologue last week, and, and I didn't get as much appreciation as I did now. So I appreciate that. <laughs> last thing before that we end off the show, a bit of around the block. Um, there was a comment that was left in the chat room. I don't know if you guys saw. Is Logan Paul's new marketplace on the agenda for today? I, I did see something about this. Have you guys seen anything about Logan Paul's new NFT? No. I don't know, whatever, marketplace. Um, no, I actually haven't seen anything about it. You know, he, <laughs> I know like people, people, there are a lot of people that I know who like him and like the podcast, his podcast, Impulsive and stuff, but... Oh man, I just have like, you know, influences like that, you know, I just, they just leave me with a bad taste in my mouth. Sometimes it's just like, you know, there's a lack of um, authenticity and genuineness. And yeah, 
I don't know. Well, There's a lot of YouTubers like him. It's more than yeah, likely sorry. it's going to be a cash grab, whatever. I mean, I haven't looked into the tech at all, so I might be speaking completely out of tune. But more than often when I've heard of a, a mainstream influencer stepping, I know he's deep in NFTs. I know he's launched his own projects and everything like that. But usually when these mainstream influencers do something like this, it's one clickbait, two cash grab, three, you know, to build up more exposure. Um, it's very seldomly that you've got guys who are mainstream influencers with good intentions. And maybe he is going into this with good intentions, with actual intention to be building in the space and helping flesh out the ecosystems. Maybe he wants to build something more robust than, you know, the current competitors out there. But just off the bat, from experience in the space, most of these influencers go in there for a cash grab. I mean, John's giving him the benefit of the doubt, though. How likely actually is that? Like, he's not a... He's not a technologist. He's not a tech guy. He's a YouTuber. Um, well, he won't. If we go, he won't if we go back to first principles, would, of course. No, think think about marketing. You know, for any successful project, you need a public figure. He would just be the face. You know, he'll probably have next to no say in what actually happens on the protocol or how it's governed. He'll probably just be you know in charge of the face. You know, being the presence of the of the ecosystem. And the way I see that, it's not it's not really his project then i mean he's just the the influencer model that the design development studio has hired <laughs> so you know essentially yeah. even though he's hired <laughs> the the studio to develop the the marketplace and build it um he essentially still becomes the influencer for them but look i mean i'm that's i'm not taking anything away from you know stuff he's done on youtube he's a prolific content creator and he's a great entertainer um in that way uh, I'll look, look I'll, I'll tell you, I'll have an update by next week to everyone in the audience as well. Um, I'll have an update on Logan Paul's NFT marketplace or whatever it might be and see what I, I'll, I'll give my verdict. Um, it's Flip, just flipping the, it's, fl flipping the tables a bit though, just, just to, just to shift on, um, around the block for you, Luca, Elon Musk holds the biggest share in Twitter. Oh my God, oh, that guys, guys, that is what I was going to start off the show with, but I forgot. And I, and I, I asked my other question, which was also a good one. I don't regret it. How insane is, how insane is, Absolutely. is, is Elon? Absolutely, definitely tackle it next episode, I think. 100%, 100%. I mean, do, do you guys think that, that he's going to come in there with intention of freedom of speech and ultimately, you know, kind of finish what Jack Dorsey was kind of pushing for before he left? I mean, I think it's already been said uh, from people who are more qualified than me, um, a la Jason, uh, uh, J. Cal in This Week in Startups. I watched their breakdown of Elon. It, when you're running social me a social media internet company like this, it's it's not the First Amendment. It's not as straightforward as freedom of speech. There are, you know, there is content moderation. There are further complications. So what I what I what I will say though is never write off Elon. Don't do not no. be the guy who's going against him and saying this isn't going to work. Look at SpaceX, look at Twitter, look at um look at SpaceX, look at Tesla, look at PayPal, look at all the products he's built. He is he he is one of he is if not like the most important entrepreneur of our time, I believe. Um so don't don't write him off, don't go against him, I believe. I I think it's a great move buying into a product, an internet social media product that's essentially been stagnant compared to Facebook, Google, Amazon um, for the past decade. So, and he loves the product. He, he's 
prolific at the product. I mean, he's got 70 million followers on the platform. I think he could absolutely like turn it around. And I think he just got um, brought onto their board today. Parag, the new yeah. CEO, brought he, him on. He already board. issued a poll where it was like, do you want an edit button? And then yes, the I was did he? CEO <laughs> was like retweeted it and just was like, uh, vote carefully. <laughs> no, epic. <laughs> it's serious. It's like. Epic. No, it's 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 crazy. I mean, next thing you know, we get edit buttons. Who who knows what's going to happen with with Twitter now? Um, but it'll be if we tackle it next week, it'll be interesting uh, seeing how we can tackle it in the context of crypto. Next thing you know, Elon scraps the Lightning integration and it's like Web three's BS. Well, Dogecoin. <laughs> well, well, guys, Doge, Dogecoin did just pump twenty three. 23% today. <laughs> so since since actually, since the very announcement that Elon was put on the board, Dogecoin pumped 23%. So Don't I think people are kind of preempting Doge uh, being integrated. Something into, with Doge. <laughs> something with Doge. Right, imagine, imagine. You know, um, I was listening to a podcast, shout out to uh, Vinnie Lingham and Crypto Musings on another call-in um, crypto show. Um, he actually had an episode uh, last year, called talking about dog coins or whatever. It's around. It was around that the Shiba uh, mania time, and he said something funny about like Elon and Doge and everything that was happening. He was like, "Don't write off Elon," and that just stuck with me. Even though it's like the most stupid thing with Dogecoin, like what can he? Yes, he can pump up the price, but like you know, it's it's something so abstract that he can bring into existence. Obviously, he can single handedly probably you know send it to a dollar. But that just stuck with me, Vinnie Lingham saying, don't write off Elon. <laughs> so Literally. who knows? Who knows? Crazy. But yeah, I think we'll have to, we'll have an, we're going to have an influencer episode next week. Next week, uh, Logan Paul's NFT marketplace and Elon becoming the, the biggest shareholder and the biggest individual shareholder in Twitter. What do you guys Sounds think? Like a great episode to you guys. <laughs> well, Great. On that, Lucas stayed on mute. So I'll take his uh, silence as as acceptance. Or maybe he's <laughs> shouting. Maybe he's screaming into his pillow. <laughs> acceptance. Then we'll, we'll we'll tack on metaverse at the end as well. Um, <laughs> well, cool. That's been another episode of the Web Three Show, episode twenty one in the bag. Uh, thanks to the Wizards for another great show had fun as always and we'll be coming at you like like clockwork next week tuesday for episode 22 the wizards soon to be trippy toads soon to be DeFi pirates soon to be uh identityless see you guys next week thanks for the episode boys